Lord, we thank you. We adore you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the finished work. We adore you for your presence in us, Lord. We ask that, Father, this morning, you flood our hearts with the revelation knowledge of your son, Jesus. We pray that, Father, you fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Oh, that, Father, we will walk worthy of you, fully pleasing you, and bearing fruits. We thank you, Father, that your word works in us. We thank you, Father, that your word works in us. We adore you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I welcome you all to Love and Grace City Church. My name is Prophet Isaac Lafpapo. It's good to be with you this morning to share the word with you. I humbly want to ask that if you're um, watching us live, you, you can kindly share this video on your wall so that others can watch and be blessed. Kindly share this video. I'm waiting for you. Just share this video. Just click the share button so that others can be blessed. This morning, I trust that your life will never be the same. All right, so uh, today I'm teaching on a very important um, aspect of what we've been dealing with, the responsibility of forgiveness. So we used about 20 teachings to establish the believer in the doctrinal aspect of forgiveness. And it has been a very interesting journey. We got to understand what... Um, jesus did to our sins we got to understand that our sins were forgiven we got to understand that our sins was completely forgotten by god he doesn't remember our sins anymore he does not impute our sins to us he cleansed us from our sins he was punished for our sins and our sins were buried so these are realities they are facts the believer is forgiven the forgiveness of the believer is in the past tense so God is not in the business of now about forgiving Christians. No, the Christian is forgiven. Forgiveness is a reality that the believer enjoys in salvation. Forgiveness itself is salvation. When we say a man is saved, we are saying he is forgiven. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 the verse 7, it says in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in whom we have in whom we have so forgiveness is something the believer has we have it it's a present our possession we have it in christ jesus the believer is completely forgiven in fact you cannot be saved without being forgiven the reason why you are saved is because you are forgiven have you seen that? So someone will ask so much, uh, are you saying we are not supposed to confess our sins to be forgiven? No, we don't confess our sins to be forgiven. Because our sins are forgiven in the past. It was something Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. In 1 John chapter 2, the verse 12, he says, I write to you little children that, your, uh, that you may know that your sins are forgiven for his namesake. So our sins are forgiven for his namesake. 
in Colossians 3 13 the Bible tells us to forgive because we are forgiven in Ephesians chapter 4 the verse 32 it tells us also to forgive one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us so anytime forgiveness is used in the New Testament it is used always in the past so the believer is forgiven in Colossians chapter 2 the verse 13 let me read that for you before we proceed Colossians chapter 2 the verse 13 the Bible says and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh had he quickened together with him having forgiven forgiven having forgiven I, I told you sometimes grammar can be your demon there are some Christians who just need to cast out grammatic errors or grammatic problems or challenges in their lives. When the Bible says past tense, you need to understand, receive and take it as past tense. He says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, had he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. All means all. It means past, present, and future. So the believer's sins have been completely forgiven. In Hebrews chapter 10 from uh, the verse 16. Now, he says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, say the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds will I write them. He says, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So, God does not remember the sins of the believer. It's, it's actually a new covenant reality. We have it in the old covenant. He says, I'll punish your iniquity unto your third and your fourth generation. In the new covenant, he says, your lawless deeds and your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. And no more means no more. It means not now, not ever. God does not remember your sins anymore. It's a new covenant reality. We have it in Christ. Our sins are forgiven us. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So we have forgiveness in Christ. So um, somebody asks, so you mean there is no need for us to confess our sins? You see, you can decide to confess your sins. But you see, confessing, which many actually don't know, is actually what people call listing your sins. It's not what you do to be forgiven. The power of forgiveness is not in you. The power of forgiveness is not in your confession. The power of forgiveness is in the blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of forgiveness or blotting out of sin. You need to pay attention to this. Back to Hebrews chapter 9. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Hebrews chapter 9, the verse 22. The Bible says, and almost all things are by law patched with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. Are you seeing that? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. In other words, it is impossible to have your sins bloated or forgiven without the shedding of blood. So, your forgiveness in Christ has got nothing to do with you begging God begging God does not bring forgiveness when you beg God it is not for God when you beg God it is for you so you see we said that don't get to a point where you think there's nothing wrong with not apologizing with to God when you do something wrong 
Now there is a need for apology. When you do something wrong, you apologize because you have a relationship with God. God is not some empty being or some inexistent being who doesn't have feelings or emotions, if I should put it that way. You see, God is a being. We relate to God just like we relate with our husbands and wives, our friends and our family. So walking with God is a relationship. So you cannot pretend nothing happened and move on as if you didn't do anything. No, we are forgiven in Christ. But in our relationship with God, when we mess up, there is a need to apologize to God. But never think for a second that it was your apology that made God sorry to forgive you. No, our forgiveness is in the shedding of blood. In Matthew chapter 26 the verse 12 christian actually had to acknowledge that he was a sinner and he sinned to receive the very gift of righteousness and the gift of eternal life so no christian in himself says he has no sin no so he says they deceive themselves and the truth is not in them the truth is in the believer and that truth is jesus so uh, anyone without christ does not have the truth in him so in first john 1 9 when he says confess your sins and he's faithful he was speaking to unbelievers to acknowledge jesus he's to they are to acknowledge that they are sinners acknowledge that they have committed sin acknowledge that they are weak in themselves to save themselves so if if we think that first john 1 9 is referring to christians then john contradicted himself very seriously because in the next chapter starting from first john chapter 2 the verse 1 john says i write to you my little children because now let me read that for you i write to you little children Thank you, Holy Spirit. All right. These things write I unto you that ye sin not. He says, if any man sin, uh, now look at that. John is now referring to the Christian. If any Christian sins, he says, we have. Do, do you see in First John 1, now he says, confess. Talking to unbelieving Gnostics. In First John 2, 1, he says, I write to you that you sin not. Are you seeing that? In John, First John 1, 8 and 9, these people say they have no sin. But when he came to the Christian, the Christian knew he could sin. So John says, I write to you that you sin not. But if any man sins, are you seeing that? He says, we have an advocate. The word advocate is an attorney. It's a lawyer. We have an advocate. Who is the advocate? Jesus Christ, the righteous jesus christ the righteous and the bible says he is the propitiation that means the atoning victim for our sins and not for us only but also for the sins of the whole world are you seeing this now look at the verse 12 john comes back again to say i write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake what's the meaning of the word name the word name in greek is onoma which means authority character and ranking the word name also means reputation or achievement have you seen that god's character no god's authority god's achievement god's ranking is in what he did in his son so he's saying i write to you little children because your sins are forgiven past tense for his reputation sake for his redemptive work sake it, it is not on the basis of our confession are you seeing that this is good all right so quickly let's move to today's message so we've been teaching on the responsibility of forgiveness and uh, 
we, 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 we said some beautiful things. A lot of times, many in the uh, great circle uh, miss a lot of things we, in the New Testament. For example, a lot of times, many, uh, uh, many Christians, especially in the great circle, have confused the difference between condemnation and then the godly sorrow that comes as a discomfort when you sin. We have explained the two. We said condemnation is actually when one damns himself or judges himself or thinks in his mind that God is going to punish him for something wrong he has done. That's living in condemnation. It's living with actually the thought process uh, that God is going to damn you in hell. That's condemnation. Okay? It's, it's like we said, it's very close to sin consciousness. It's actually the expectation of punishment coming from God. So it's a wrong perception people have developed about God. Seeing God as a, uh, as a killer. Seeing God as a bad person. Now, sin consciousness and condemnation roots itself in a damnable expectation of judgment. That's God, God tells us there is now therefore no condemnation. When a believer is in Christ, there is no damnation for him. So that is that is one aspect of it. But you see, a lot of times many people think that when we say no condemnation, we are saying don't feel bad when you sin. That's wrong. So many think that when we say no condemnation, we are saying that uh, try as much as possible to hide that discomfort or that sorrow your heart reveals when you fall into sin. That is, that is another thing. You will mess up your life when you don't separate the two. Condemnation is a domination. It's a sense of domination. It's a sense that you are going to hell because of something bad you did. That is not the same as the discomfort and the uh, joy that leaves you when you do a wrong act. That's a different thing altogether. You should feel bad about yourself when you walk against God's will. But that feeling bad is not condemnation. That sense of discomfort, that sense of sorrow, that sense of godly sorrow that grips you when you walk in sin or you are about to sin is godly. It is godly. God, see, God designed this in our hearts so that it becomes a checkpoint of our actions. If a believer is not, is not sorrowful about sinning, he will mess up his life. So, many have confused the two. So, when they do something wrong and their heart becomes discomforted or their heart becomes sorrowful in a godly way, they think it's condemnation and they brush it off. At times when believers walk in what is wrong and uh, there is like uh, some kind of way you feel. It's like you are not happy about yourself. Then they just brush it off with the word no condemnation. You miss this whole thing. When you feel bad about doing something wrong, it is godly. It is a remorseful um, um, detector. It, it is something God puts in your heart. It's a discomfort your recreated spirit creates inside you so that you will not enjoy sinning. Because I've explained to you, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, that love does not rejoice in iniquity. 
love does not rejoice in iniquity there are three restraining forces there are more of them but i i limit them to three there are three restraining forces that is in every believer and these restraining forces signals us when we are doing wrong the first restraining force is our recreated human spirit our recreated human spirit is born of god it carries the dna of god it carries the very life of god is the new creation spirit that spirit in itself cannot sin it it does not sin it doesn't have the capacity to sin so you see god placed that recreated spirit inside you so that anytime your flesh wants to go beyond god's word to do its own will or commit an abomination or commit sin that recreated human spirit begins to create that discomfort inside you that makes you feel uncomfortable when you are about to sin or when you are sinning god placed it inside for a purpose they are restraining forces you begin to lose joy in your heart you begin to lose a certain uh, that thing that gives you that permission to be licentious it leaves your heart because of the righteous spirit in you number two is the holy spirit the holy ghost was given to the believer to also be a restraining force that should not make you comfortable sinning so anytime you are about sinning or you are sinning there is a discomfort there is a restrictive force within you that that begins to grieve in your heart when you don't give heed to that restraining force what is going to happen is that you will give yourself over to licentiousness the third restraining force is uh, the word of god when a believer has the word of god in him and he begins to do what is wrong or is about to do what is wrong the word of god rebukes him the word of god rebukes him so the word of god is also a restraining force when you read second uh, timothy chapter 3 the verse 16 the bible says all scripture is given by the inspiration of god and therefore is profitable unto doctrine unto reproof unto correction and unto instruction in righteousness that the man of god may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto every good work so the word of god can correct you the word of god can rebuke you so when a believer is going to walk in sin and he has the word of god dwelling in him richly or he had the word of god taught him by a teacher or a preacher or a man of god or he had the word of god taught him by the holy spirit as he was doing his quiet time or he, he was doing his morning devotion or something that word becomes a restricted force that that holds him that checks him that checks his life that checks his decisions that checks his actions that word in his spirit becomes a restraining force that rebukes him or warns him so when a believer um, ignores the recreated spirit the signals of the recreated spirit ignores the word of god ignores the signals and the promptings of the holy spirit in his heart consistently and continuously very soon he will mute, he will mute these three restraining forces he will mute it and as you mute it soon you don't feel bad about sinning again they just keep covering up your evil with the word of god i'm still the righteousness of god but you know in your heart that what you're doing is not right you know you know what you're doing is not right but you see because you have muted because you have consistently ignored the promptings of the holy spirit you have muted that voice 
you have mismuted those three restraining forces in your life so now you give yourself over to licentiousness and you know when you get to that point god leaves you god leaves you to do what you want to do and that's the point a lot of christians are getting to when you get to a point where god cannot correct you again where the holy spirit cannot check you where the word of god does not restrain you anymore god gives you over to your reprobate mind that's how it is so uh, you, you when you start chasing someone's husband or start stealing or taking bribe or start engaging in a sinful practice and you ignore all these three strong restrictive forces god gives you over because there's nothing he can do about it he gives you over to your reprobate mind he gives you over to continue what you're doing and soon you will do it to a point where you no longer feel anything wrong with it you can be sleeping with someone's husband and you can be so cool about it yeah you can be watching all kinds of um, filthy stuffs and now you don't feel bad again your conscience is seared with hot iron and god gives you over at that point you are in you are in a dangerous path in your life you are in a dangerous path in your life you, because a christian can get to a place where god cannot correct him i didn't say god will not god cannot a christian can get to a place where god cannot correct him because the all the corrections that god exposed to you you rejected it and listen to me god does not cast pearls to swines precious things are not given to swines when you constantly reject god's word there is nothing he can do about it he gives you over onto a point you get to where you are completely disgraced or you are completely in a big mess then you return back to him as the prodigal son but sometimes the prodigal son can come back completely broken that it's too late for him sometimes the prodigal son might not be the one that we saw in luke 16 sometimes the prodigal son can come back with an hiv and there's nothing you can do about it sometimes the prodigal son can come back dead sometimes the prodigal son can come back with acid poured on his face or her face and god cannot do anything about it so don't get to the point where you become a prodigal child no do you see that god the father could not force his son when he was still forcing to have all the property god cannot force you not to sin he can't but he can give you a restrictive force thank you jesus thank you lord so we were looking at galatians chapter 5 the verse 19 we were analyzing the works of the flesh we said the works of the flesh are practices that uh, a, a man or a woman can engage in when he gives over to the flesh when you give over to your flesh or when you yield the members of your body over to the dictates of the flesh you can do very terrible things so the bible says now the works of the flesh are manifest now don't think a believer cannot commit these things every believer has flesh now we have said that the bible uses flesh especially in the new testament to speak of different things there are times the bible refers to flesh as the old man that was crucified with christ and there are times also the bible uses flesh to describe the um the desires of the body there are times the bible uses flesh to describe the desires of the body or the seat of the five senses or um um the the self or the ego of a man 
it can be used as flesh so the works of the flesh are the manifestations of giving or yielding over to the flesh when a believer yields himself to the flesh he can behave like an unbeliever please watch this when a believer gives his flesh over he can behave like an unbeliever when a believer yields the members of his body to the dictates of the flesh he can behave as though he's not born again yeah believers can behave as though they are not born again there are some christians whose christianity is questionable it's simply because they give their flesh over they yield the members of their body not as instruments of righteousness but as instruments of unrighteousness unto holiness unho- uh, uh, unto uh, unholiness yeah so we we are on the fourth one now you need to understand that um the works of the flesh are classified into four okay all the i think 16 or 17 of the works of the flesh are classified into four the first set are called sexual sins the first set are called sexual sins please please note it down the first set is called sexual sins the second set is called religious sins the second set is called religious sins the third set is called temper sins temper sins the fourth set is called the sins of religious schemes the sins of religious schisms sorry schisms then the fifth one i I think it's five not four is called the sin of appetite the sin of appetite so i'm going to be explaining them uh, into details as we go on so um we have looked at um Let's, let, let me get to Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 so you can project Galatians 5 19 for me so I can explain this very carefully for you alright so in Galatians 5 19 he says now the works of the flesh are manifest he says the first one is adultery so adultery is a sexual sin the next one is fornication fornication is also a sexual sin the fourth one is uncleanness uncleanness is also um, um, a sexual sin then we have lasciviousness lasciviousness is also um, a sexual sin so the first four of the works of the flesh are sexual sins now the next list of sins are called religious sins and that's what we are looking looking at the first one today they are called religious sins religious sins now so out of the religious sins the first sin in uh, amongst the religious sins is called idolatry so the first four are called (coughs) sexual sins so adultery is a sexual sin fornication is a sexual sin lasciviousness is a sexual sin uncleanness is also a sexual sin then the next group of sins is called religious sins it's sins against worship sins of worship they are sins of worship so we need to understand that a believer can commit sexual sins he can also commit religious or sins of worship please follow this 
so in the sins of worship or the religious sins we have idolatry as a sin i told you you know i mean a lot of times people don't believe that there's something called sin even under grace i've told you a believer can sin in the new testament we have given you many series of scriptures confirming that a believer can still sin in the new testament yes he can sin in the new testament but the truth of the matter is that he's forgiven god does not impute his sins to him or against him it's a fact but the believer can sin against god even in the new testament despite the fact that you're forgiven it it still also means you can sin it it is clear in the new testament we have read many scriptures you can get our previous teaching so then the the religious sin is first listed in idolatry and now this is really going to transform your life please open your heart and let the holy spirit minister to you the sin of idolatry is is called the work of the flesh idolatry is the work of the flesh and many a times many christians have a certain uh, limited understanding of what idolatry is and today i'm really going to expose your understanding i'm going to open you up to understand idolatry in a way you have never understood in your life i believe so we want to look at the meaning of idolatry okay now you need to understand that idolatry is not an old testament issue idolatry is a human issue please write this down idolatry is not a new testament issue idolatry is a human issue i want to repeat this because it serves the foundation of what i'm teaching now idolatry is not an old testament issue idolatry is a human issue a lot of times when we speak of idolatry people uh, point idolatry to the old testament when israel was worshiping other gods you'll be shocked this morning you will be shocked idolatry is not an old testament issue is a human issue every human being can serve idols or other gods depending on the object of worship please follow this now the greek word for idolatry is idolatria idolatria which is e i d o l o l a t r e i a idolatria e i d o l o l a t r e i a idolatria idolatria so the word idolatry which is i um idolatria means image worship it means image worship please pay attention it means image worship now watch this anything on which affections are passionately set is idolatry anything on which affections are passionately set is idolatry please follow worshiping idols visiting shrines are all forms of idolatry worshiping idols visiting shrines are all forms of idolatry but now here's the shocking thing pay attention anything that takes the place of god 
or replaces God in your heart is idolatry. Are you following this? Anything that takes the place of God or replaces God in your heart is idolatry. So don't think of going to carve a wood and bowing down to the wood. There are many Christians bowing down to things today that they are not aware of. Anything that replaces God or takes the place of God in your heart is an idol. Is an idol. So an idol is the object. Idolatry is the practice. Please follow. An idol is the object. Idolatry is the practice. So an example can be, a phone can be an idol. Idolatry is your practice of allowing the phone to take the place of God in your heart. Are you following this? So the idol is the object and then the idolatry is the practice. It's the practice of worshipping that idol. So like I said, when we are speaking of idolatry, don't only think of someone going to a shrine or someone carving an image and bowing down to it. It goes beyond that. And today we are going to look at some serious things here. So please pay attention to this. Alright, now, idolatry is also an extravagant admiration of the heart. An extravagant admiration of the heart. Please note it. Idolatry is an extravagant admiration of the heart. Alright, you can still write this down. Idolatry is excessive or blind adoration or devotion to anything other than God. Idolatry is an excessive or blind adoration or devotion to anything other than God. Let me read that again. Idolatry is an excessive or blind adoration or devotion to a thing other than God. Now, here's another definition for idolatry. Anything dethroning God in your life is an idol or idolatry. Anything dethroning God in your heart is idolatry. Very simple but powerful. Anything dethroning God, anything that dethrones God in your life is an idol and by practice idolatry. So, idolatry is rooted in adoration. It's a certain devotion you give to things other than God. When your devotion is for things and not God, you are walking on the footsteps of idolatry. Please follow this. In the New Testament, you are going to find different times the word idolatry used. And a lot of times, many Christians keep it because they think, for me, I can't worship any idol. You lie. Once it's, the, it's in the New Testament, you can. Once it was warned uh, for believers to shun or flee from it, that means a believer can be an idol worshiper without knowing. You don't need to set fire. You don't need to bow down. You don't need to carve an image. You don't need to enter a shrine to become an idol worshiper. 
there are many Christians who have little gods they are keeping. There are many Christians who have little shrines they have made. They have invisible gods, invisible shrines, which they have, they have made in their hearts, which has dethroned God or given devotion to these things other than God. And it can be a work of the flesh. It is a work of the flesh. If you don't set your heart right, your heart can be looking for other things and giving devotion, honor and respect to other things other than God. Remember we said idolatry is image worship. Um, you can worship a man. You can worship a man of God and become an idol worshiper in that light. There are people today who worship their pastor apart from God. No wonder the man can do what is bad, but because of image worship, we say it is good. There are many young pastors who are falling into that trap. They've seen clearly that the pastor they are following is doing all kinds of things. He's sleeping with people's wives. Stealing church money. And they see it. But because he is the one, it is righteous. It is righteous because he is the one. It's, that is image worship. You can destroy your life. That is image worship. So there are people who adore and worship men than God. Listen to me. Honor men, but don't worship men. Follow this. Honor and respect men highly, but don't worship men. Your worship and devotion is to God. Your respect and honor can be given to men. Alright, we're going to get there. Let's get some scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the verse 11. 1 Corinthians 5, the verse 11. Le koshe fratibo tolo brandestahai. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 the verse 11. Alright, now watch this. Now let's read from the verse um, um, 10. Alright, let's read from the verse 9. He says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Amazing. Paul says, don't let a fornicator be your friend. Don't befriend a fornicator. One who loves sleeping around must not be your friend. So if you are a Christian and your best friend is one who sleeps around with different people, you need to be careful. He says, the verse 10, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortionists or with idolaters. For then must he needs go out of the world. But look at the verse 11. But now I've written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother is a fornicator, covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, not even to eat. So Paul is saying, don't even eat with a fornicator. One who loves sleeping around. He said, don't even eat with that person. Uh, he called the person a brother. 
He called him a brother. So you see, you need to understand that bad company can corrupt you. Bad company can corrupt you. You cannot say we are all believers. No. If you are all believers, watch how that particular believer operates and behaves. If he is a fornicator or an idolater, he loves things above God. He says don't even eat with him. There are some Christian sisters, Christian brothers. If you stay in company with them, you behave like an unbeliever. Because they talk like unbelievers. They walk like unbelievers. They behave like unbelievers. They think like unbelievers. They take decisions like unbelievers. They do all kinds of things like unbelievers. Paul says, with such a brother who is a Christian, he says, don't even eat with him. And what I'm centering on here, he says, don't dine with an idolater. And we are going to be explaining that soon. So that you don't think of one who goes, just one who goes to a shrine. Let's get some more scriptures. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, the verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the verse 16. Now watch this. He says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now he's telling us that believers should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And he called the believer the temple of God and calls an unbeliever an idol. He says what fellowship has the temple of God with idols? So there is a separation. Please follow this. We are going to look at some scriptures but I'm going to explain everything soon. Ephesians chapter 5 the verse 5. Ephesians 5 5. Ephesians 5 5. All right, watch this. He says, For ye know this, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor a covetous man who is an idolater is getting clearer. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of, of, of Christ and of God? Now, he says, No covetous man who is an idolater is giving us a clue that covetousness is as equal to idolatry covetousness and idolatry move together they are synonymous who is a covetous man one whose heart seeks for things one whose heart seeks for things one who wants to have everything he says that person is an idolater a believer who seeks to have everything he wants everything everybody has he converts everything unless he doesn't see a new phone he wants it unless he doesn't see a new shoe he wants it unless he doesn't see a new dress he wants it that is covetousness you can want something to the detriment of another losing it it is covetousness there are believers who are covetous they want to have everything they don't care who is hurt all they want is that they want it he says that person is an idolater so he's giving us a clue that covetousness leads to idolatry what is idolatry excessive admiration or devotion to things other than god so when your affection gets into things it can lead you to worship those things and that makes you or could make you an idolater Please follow this. 
Please follow this. So he says, or a covetous man who is an idolater. In other words, one of the keys that leads to idol worship is covetousness. When your heart is always for things, to have things, to be rich, to have the latest iPhone, to have the latest car, at the detriment of worshipping and serving God, he says it can lead to idolatry. Where you worship things than God Himself. Thank you, Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians 3 5. I'm still building a foundation. Colossians 3 5. Now watch this. He says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. This is talking to Christians. He says, kill. Kill therefore the members which are upon the earth. He's talking about fleshly desires. Paul says, mortify fleshly desires. Kill it. He says, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It is giving us another clue that covetousness in itself is idol worship. Whatever you covet, you worship. Please watch this. Whatever you covet, you worship. So in other words, watch your appetite. Watch the things your heart yearns for. There are people whose hearts are yearning for cars than God. There are people whose heart is yearning for iPhone X than God. He says covetousness is idolatry. What is idolatry? Excessive admiration for things other than God. Idolatry is anything that dethrones God in your heart. Please don't forget this. So you don't need to go to the shrine to become an idol a worshiper or to commit idolatry. The things you covet in your heart can lead you there. So he says, covetousness is idolatry. So if you don't watch what your heart covets for, you can commit idolatry, which is the work of the flesh. Of course, there are believers who, who, <coughs> who love to practice idol worship. They are believers like that. When someone steals something from them, they forget about God that they are Christians. They are Christians today. When someone steals from, from them, they go to a fetish priest. Why? Because of a phone. Someone stole your phone and you manage to go to a fetish priest to give you details of the one who took it. It's sad. It's sad. It's sad. They are Christians like that. They, nothing moves them. You see, they are okay. They are okay going to the shrine. They are very okay. Going to the shrine, they are okay. Then they say, I cover myself with the blood of Jesus. Then they, go, they enter the shrine. You'll be shocked. You might think uh, this thing shouldn't happen. It is happening. They are Christians today who are going to some secret rooms you have no idea of. Some of them, their friends let them there. They'll say, oh, she's a prophetess. 
She's a prophetess. She calls spirits. She calls spirits. Let, let's go so that she can tell us about our destiny. Listen, the destiny you don't find in the word of God. You can't find it anywhere. We are not in those days when a man will say he's going to look for a prophet to tell him what shall be befall him in the future. You are a man of the spirit. You are a man of the spirit. You don't need a prophet to tell you your future. God's word is, is, is God's word tells you of your future. God's word tells you of your future. You don't need to go and seek uh, uh, a, a diviner. You don't need to go and seek some spirit somewhere to be able to tell you what shall before your future. You can enter into idolatry. Yeah, you can. You can. There are Christians who have entered into things innocently because they were misled. Or they said, oh, she's a prophetess, but she has a very unique way of calling spirits. She can be able to call some spirits and you'll be fine. And there are Christians who are falling for it. You go to the environment, the whole place, they've used red things to cover the place. Here the person said, he's a prophet or a prophetess. And you fell for it. You fell for it. Are you not satisfied with God in you? Are you not satisfied with the word of God in you? Are you not satisfied with the Holy Spirit in you? What at all end are you looking for? He said, my marriage has delayed. I'm told there's a prophetess who can help me get a good marriage. When your pastor is there, you go to church, yet you are looking for a, a spiritualist. Looking for a spiritualist prophet or prophetess. You will lead yourself into trouble. You will lead yourself into trouble. There was a lady who came to see me from two, three years back. She went to see a so-called prophetess. And she herself told me when she went and she entered the place, the place was looking like a shrine, but she was told it was a prophetess. And there were green oil, red oil, blue oil, different oils. And she saw one of the oils. There is a big cross in the oil. Yet the, the, the cover of the bottle is very small. How did the cross get inside? The cover of the bottle was very small but there was a big cross inside the bottle where, where the oil was so the question is how did the cross enter the bottle i don't understand it's a mystery and she went there and this prophetess anointed her with one of the red oils which has a big cross in it she said ever since she left the the, the prophetess office which i call shrine she said her life has never been the same again her life has never been the same she said she would dream she would see a dog chasing her she would dream she would see a, 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 a naked man sleeping with her she would dream then she's walking in in mud she would dream and somebody is chasing her she would dream that something bad is happening ever since she entered into that <laughs> prophetic office <laughs> ever since she entered into the prophetic office her life has never been the same. And she herself said when she entered, her spirit is uncomfortable. There are many of you, you have entered into places your heart is not there. Your heart is uncomfortable. Yet you entered there because the man is handsome. You entered there because the woman is wearing white, white. Uh, white means dove. It means angel. So uh, that means that the person is from God. How do you deceive yourself like this? There are Christians who have entered into idol worship because of either their ignorance or their stupidity they entered there they have been giving things they are tempering with 
they've been giving things i'm told someone was giving a direction and she was told to burn coal pot at midnight 1 a.m burn coal pot and pray against the spirit of cemetery see we have heard things oh we have heard things there are many christians today who have become idol worshippers without knowing they were given a white handkerchief that when they're coming to sleep they should recite the name of jesus 27 times jesus 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 when they are done uh, they they should sleep with their handkerchief when they are done with the handkerchief. see i have given mantles to people but i tell them within three days when i tell you do when i tell you when you do what you want to do with it throw it away but there are people who have been given serious directions to do with it they are giving charcoal to burn at midnight to suck witches if the name of jesus cannot suck a witch charcoal cannot suck a witch they have been giving things to burn they say spiritual incense spiritual incense many christians have entered into idolatry or in the name of seeking solutions seeking solution your marriage is delaying who said who said marriage is by force that, and who says uh, 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 26 years is the normal age for a woman to marry and a lot of women have put themselves under pressure and thinking something is wrong with them when it's just a timing problem because all fingers are not the same we are not equal some will marry 20 years some will marry 24 some will marry 26 some will marry 40 some will marry 55 it's just a matter of time many people have gone to seek for things gone for strange things and their lives have never been the same again their pastor has been preaching faithfully but they are not satisfied they want more they want more in kunya they say oh no, no. this man onyeshi onyeshi as for this prophet he loves teaching too much let's go and look for a prophet who can do things a prophet who can call out my name and call out some spirits in my life you enter into big trouble. I'm telling you. You will enter into big trouble. There are many Christians who have, who have entered into idolatry because of what we are, are talking about. There are young ministers, young prophets who have gone for things without knowing. I was told that there is a place somewhere in, in the eastern region there. There's a man you can go and see. He cut some goat's blood for you and there are some herbs there are some herbs they will just grind the herbs and they will touch your eyelid with the herbs your eyes will open you can be able to see in the spirit and there are many young men today who are prophesying with these things they have gone to touch their eyelid their eye socket with things and they think it's the spirit of god operating of course they are making some of them are making money of course some of them have bought range rovers and you know young ministers are moved by things they'll see a young man driving a good car and they're like wow why are you give him the next five years give him the next 10 years satan does not give free gifts satan does not give freebies whatever you had for free by satan he will come back for it in sevenfold whatever looks temporarily uh, whatever temporarily looks like a free gift from satan he will come back for it and he will not come for it he will come back for it sevenfold 
don't be in a haste to prophesy for your information it takes close to 30 years to raise a prophet for god to raise a prophet it takes close to 30 years for god to raise a prophet for himself you don't need to rush anything there are some things no matter the fasting no matter the prayers you will not see it there are some things no matter the actual mountains you go because you see you know when we were kids okay when we were young around 14 years 12 years old we were in a hurry to have beard we were in a hurry to have beard so sometimes we'll go and take a mirror looking at it then we'll put rub rub on our side we put rub there we are forcing the beard to grow sometimes we tried it several times the beard was not growing the beard was not growing sometimes we, i remember those days i put charcoal charcoal i put charcoal in water and i used it to do five five i created fake five five there are many young preachers young ministers who are forcing things to happen yet it's not happening you know why because when we forced our head to grow it was not the right timing so all the things we were pulling was not working and guess what there was a time you were not praying you were not applying rub by the time you woke up in the morning you realize the hair you have been forcing was now coming naturally it's the same with ministry it's the same with ministry you don't need to rush to put things there are some things eh, you will fast 58 days 70 days 90 days fasting it will not come you will not experience it there are some things that comes only with time and maturity there are some things that comes only with time i'm not saying don't fast again but i'm saying give some things to time keep fasting keep praying don't look for shortcuts don't look for tricks no don't add tricks to your ministry you will corrupt your ministry people will find you out soon you will destroy your ministry there are some things leave it to come it, it, it comes naturally as you grow in the lord as you keep studying and fellowshipping they will come there are some things that i was trusting god some years ago in the prophetic i did everything i fasted i prayed i prayed hours i even sowed seeds trusting god so i go and see someone who is operating and i sow a seed into the person's life so that you give me that power like simon and it didn't happen there were times i did not even pray about it before i realized it started happening i didn't pray about it but they started happening there are some open doors there is nothing you can do to open it there are some operations in the supernatural there are some operations in the spirit they happen naturally if you are a young minister watching me don't give yourself to rush take your time don't force yourself to see in the spirit it's not by force don't go and gamble with things they say i actually one of my friends is uh, a young guy but now he can prophesy he can see so if you don't see what will happen if you don't see what will happen you don't see what will happen there are people today young men today they have put pressure on themselves pressure serious pressure because they have started hosting prophetic programs on facebook they started prophetic decrees prophetic buffet when i see your face as i see your face i prophesy as i see your name on facebook i prophesy that's how they started it's a program they started they forced themselves to start it and they declared themselves prophetic giants because they looked at some big prophets out there and they wanted to behave like them now they started day one day two day three information is finished now they have to seek facebook to help them they are now hiring lawyer on facebook looking at people's instagram accounts information there to prophesy because you have put pressure on yourself it is not compulsory to host facebook live on prophetic 
It, they, they, they say prophesy 2020. Give me your name and I'll prophesy. Type hi and prophesy. Shout prophesy on Facebook Live and I'll prophesy. Don't put yourself under pressure. I'm not saying people cannot do that. I'm saying it. don't put yourself under pressure. Things young prophets would do to survive. Be careful. We have seen some before. We have seen people who started with us. They are no more. We have seen people who started and they are no more. Ministry is a long way. Don't put yourself into things that will destroy you. No. Don't put yourself into things that will destroy you. Never. Oh my God. Oh my God. Be a young man. Or stay a, a young humble man. You are, you are a young man of God. I know. Be humble. Uh, there, there was one young man I, I heard of. Well, I mean 23, 24 years. And he's a prophet. And when you talk to him on phone, the voice will give to you, uh, how are you? How are you, my, my daughter? Uh, the 23 years old boy, how are you, my daughter? Uh, there's something I'm seeing in the spirit about you. Uh, uh, call my number this time. I'll, I'll meet you in the office. Come and meet me in my office. Hey! Come and meet me in my office. 23 year old boy. You talk to your, your, the elderly women who talk to you like they are kids. I tell people, listen, don't be watching some prophets on TV and be doing things. Oh. Don't be watching some ministers on TV and change your character and attitude. Don't destroy yourself. I tell people, me, I watch people, I see some, sometimes some prophets prophesy to people, they call, hey, come here, I'm calling you, you run. I've seen prophets slap their associates publicly. I've seen it. I've seen prophets make their associates kneel down in the sand as punishment for not bringing the oil quickly. And sometimes there's a temptation to learn it because people think it's how to demonstrate power and authority. It, it's nonsense. They are, they are the brothers of Jesus. They are the brothers of Jesus. Don't copy something blindly to destroy your ministry. When I'm prophesying to people, I ask, please, please, madam, come. That's how I talk to people. Because they are the bride of Christ. And people have learned things. People have gone to put things to themselves. And they are destroying their lives, especially young ministers. You need to be careful of your life. Don't be under pressure. You don't need to go and take eye drops to put spiritual eye drops. Listen, you sustain, you must sustain it. Oh, you must sustain it. It first started with herbs. Putting herbs on your eyes, your eyes will open. Very soon it will turn into sacrificing animals. Very soon it will turn into sacrificing human beings. And now you are in trouble. Now they'll give you stones to come and put in your house. Now they'll give you things. And now before you realize, you have entered into occultism. Just because you were in a hurry to make it. Just because you were in a hurry to drive a car. Just because you were in a hurry to make it in ministry. Just because you are in a hurry to have thousand congregation. Just because you were in a hurry to make it in ministry. Don't compromise. Idol worship or idolatry is happening currently in the New Testament. And even if you are not a young minister, and you are still watching me. You can still worship idols. You don't know. You have no idea. You have no idea. Today, you need to put this down. Technology has become one of the lesser gods. Taking the heart and replacing God in the hearts of men today. Technology has become a lesser god. Yeah. Technology has become a lesser god. Today, technology is battling the hearts of many believers today. 
you have no idea. To an extent, you know, that is why there are some people who don't need God in their lives. They don't need God. You know why? Because technology has given them all they need. They don't need God. They have an iPhone. They can watch any movie they want to watch. They have cars. They have Lamborghinis. That's why if you serve God for things, you are in the wrong place. When you serve God for things, you are in the wrong place. Today, ministry has changed. Many Christians have a wrong direction. They think that having things is a sign that God is with you. You have no idea. There are many Christians who think that uh, having cars is the reward for ministry. Go and like, ask Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul says that when he was obedient to the heavenly vision, he was almost killed. For his obedience to the heavenly ministry, it was not the reward of a car. Apostle Paul, for his reward for obedience, it was death. The early apostles, their reward for labor and obedience was beheading. It was crucifixion. It was being sown ascender. It was being dragged with a cart. It was being clubbed in the head. That was the results and the, and the rewards they had for their obedience. So many Christians think that having a house is the reward for serving God. No. If you have a house in the process of serving God, praise Jesus. But when a man does not have a car, he should not think that he has not served God well. Having things is not the reward for serving God. No wonder many Christians today are serving God so that they can have things from God. So when they serve God for three years and they are not seeing anything, they want to try something else. Because God is one of the things they try. If God does not work, then let me go and find out what works. Yeah? Many Christians have allowed technology to take their hearts from the Lord. Please know this. In Colossians chapter 3, the verse 1, note this. Note this. Colossians 3, 1. The Bible says, If ye then, being risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ seated on the right hand of God. Look at the verse 2. He says, Set your affection on things above. Not on things on the earth. Where are you setting your affection today? He says, set your affection. In other words, set your hearts on the things of God. Set your heart on God. God wants to be the center. He does not just want to be one of the things competing in your life. No. Set your hearts on things above. It's unfortunate today the jobs of many Christians has become their idols. Their job is their idol. Their phone is their idol. Movies are their idols. TV are their idols. Laptop is their idol. Yeah. Even their children have become their idol. Their husband has become their idol. Their wives have become their idol. There are many Christians today who are actually committing idolatry without knowing. Because what they set their affection on is nothing. What they set their affections on is not on God anymore. There are Christians today who for one month they have not read their Bible. They have not spent time with Jesus Christ. And they are okay. They are okay. 
they are okay. They said, I have a target to meet. You have a target to meet? When you get to heaven or you should die today, the targets of your company mean nothing in heaven. The targets of your company mean nothing in heaven. I'm not saying don't meet target, but there's a heavenly target. There's a price of the high calling and your mind and your heart should be set there once you have set your heart on other things. Your heart. Where you center your heart on really matters. What you set your heart on really matters. Set your affections on the right thing. Yeah. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus Christ was shown the kingdoms of the world by Satan. And watch this. This is very key. Satan wanted to repeat what he did in the garden against Adam and Eve. Remember, the Bible tells us that he showed them and appealed to them the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And said to them, Ah, when the Lord is hiding something from you, if you are able to eat this, you will have wisdom. I mean, you're going to have good wisdom. And the Bible says, when the woman saw the fruit, she realized, number one, it was good for food, last of the flesh. It was desirable. It, It was good to look at the last of the eyes. And it was desirable for gaining wisdom, the pride of life. These are the three forces of idolatry. The last of the flesh. The last of the eyes. And the pride of life. These are the three forces of idolatry. And it happened when first of all Jesus was hungry, last of the flesh. Satan says, turn this stone into bread. The same thing that happened in the garden. And Jesus, he had the word. That means the key to idolatry is the word of God. The key to the last, to overcoming the last of the flesh is the word of God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then Satan took him up and says, uh, just throw yourself down because the Bible says, he shall give his angels charge over thee. They shall keep thee in the, they shall bear thee up in the palms, lest thou dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus, Jesus said, Jesus replied with the word of God. He replied with the word of God. He said, thou shalt not test the Lord your God. You don't test the Lord your God. It's the word of God. And finally, Satan showed Jesus the kingdoms of the world. He says, bow to me. And I will give you all these kingdoms. All these pleasures you are seeing. I will give them to you. And Jesus said, thou shalt worship. In other words, thou shalt give your adoration. Your honor. Your devotion to the Lord and him only. Jesus is teaching us something that the devil will present these three things every time to us. And unfortunately, there are many Christians who have bowed to things. They have bowed to things and compromised their worship. Yeah. For information, worship is beyond lifting up your hands and singing. And many Christians think that worship means singing. No, sing, see, when you are singing, it is called we worshiping through songs. Worship is beyond singing and lifting up your hands. Worship is what you give your heart to. 
No wonder the Bible says they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There are Christians today who lift up their hands and say, Lord, we honor you, but they don't honor him. Lord, you are welcome, but he's actually rejected. Lord, we love you, but they love other things. They can spend time with their phone their whole day and not spend time with God. Listen, when you are a busy person with work, we are not saying don't go to work. What I'm saying is that you can honor the Lord in your heart despite your busy schedules. You can seek the face of God in your heart. You can put God as your, your, your source and your object of worship even when you are busy. Whilst you are working, he's the melody you are thinking of. You cannot live until you have read your Bible no matter how busy you are. You cannot live until you have prayed for at least 10 minutes before you leave. That is how we honor God. Listen, when you give all your time, your strength, your energy at the verge of your Christian life and relationship with God, you are trending on the path of idolatry. You are trending on the path of idolatry. It's so sad that you can find a Christian for two months he has not read his Bible. And this man is still going to church. How? How? No relationship with God. How? For two months you have not prayed even 10 minutes per day. What are you looking for? And yet you have been awarded the best employee. What is heaven saying about you? You are the best employee in your company. But what is heaven saying about you? Are you the best family prayer man? What is heaven saying about you? employee of the month you have given all your devotion you are being honored as the employee of the month but actually heaven does not honor you because you don't have time to honor god you are happy employee of the month who does not study the word of god employee of the year who does not read his bible employee of the year who does not spend time with god how My goodness. To the many Christians who have bowed down to the kingdoms of this world. Yes, they have bowed. They have bowed down to the kingdoms of the world. Listen, you don't need to do this to know you are bowing. You can bow with your heart. You can bow with your devotion. What are you devoted to? Uh, every three minutes, you can check your phone for notifications. Every three minutes. You are faithful with your phone, yet you claim you don't have time. You don't have time. Yet when you go back from work and you come home, you are able to watch TV. You are able to watch TV from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Yet you say you don't have time. You always have time. It's your devotion that has changed. You always have time. There is always time. It's your devotion that has changed. It's your devotion. Your devotion has changed. Your devotion has changed. Your devotion has changed. There is always time. Thank you, Lord. There was a time in the Old Testament when Moses went to, to God's presence for 40 days. And Israel waited for some time and Moses was not coming. And guess what? They suggested to Aaron that they should make golden calves out of their earrings. And they made the golden calf out of earrings and be they began to worship the golden calf. And said, this is the God that has brought us out from Egypt. And they began to worship the golden calf. 
In 1 Corinthians 10, 7, you're going to see it from there. They were worshipping this golden calf. And many Christians say that we cannot do that. They were worshipping the golden calf they brought from their earrings. And in the New Testament today, it is happening because Paul warned us. He warned us. That means Christians can worship idols made from the things around them. Because they made the golden calf out of the things around them. You can worship the things around you if you don't take care. You can worship the things around you. Listen, you can even worship ministry above God who called you. You can worship ministry above the God who called you into ministry. Please listen to me. You can worship ministry above the God who called you into ministry. You can worship things around you if you don't take care and give your devotion to them at the detriment of your worship of God. I wonder if there should be, if there could be one day where you can put off your phone for two hours. I can say for a fact about eighty percent of Christians cannot put their phone off. In fact, they have never put their own their phone off except it is low battery. Their phone has always been off less than five minutes. It's always them, 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 them. Yeah. Listen to me. Listen to me. God created you to have things. But God never created things to have you. God created you to have things. But God never created things to have you. Please listen carefully. God created you to have things, but never created things to have you. Let me say that for the last time. God created you to have things, but God never created things to have you. There are many Christians who have made things have them. There is nothing wrong with having a phone. The problem is if the phone has you. There is nothing wrong with using technology. The problem is when technology uses you. There is nothing wrong with having a car. The only problem is when the car has you. There is nothing wrong with using a laptop. The only problem is when the laptop uses you. Yeah. When you don't have control of your devotional life. When you let things around you know that God is the one I live. God is the center of my life. He is the center. I told you you don't need to bow to an image to know you are worshipping an idol. Your phone can be an idol. There are many Christians who are worshipping their phone every morning. They are, they are bowing down to their, their phone every morning in an invisible way because of the devotion they give to it. Idolatry is devotion. It's an extreme admiration. So it's in devotion. There are many Christians who are idolizing things around them. They have idolized their bosses above God. Hmm. Uh, their pastor God speaks through their pastor to tell them to come to church on time they will never come to church on time but they will go to work on time in fact 30 minutes before work begins they are already at work taking coffee but they are the last to come to church and the first to leave church when it's closed yeah it tells me a lot where your affection is it tells me a lot it tells me a lot hmm it tells me a lot. 
idolatry let me do this in 10 minutes idolatry is a divine honor paid to any created image watch this idolatry is a divine honor paid to any created image it is a divine honor paid or given to any created image listen any created image can become an idol let me list some of them the movies you watch the games you play the phone you use the cars you enjoy they all have the tendency of gaining supremacy over your relationship with God maybe I might not mention what, what is taking your heart away from God today but you need to get this anything you exalt about the supremacy and authority of Jesus Christ in your heart can become an idol I saw this scripture and I was alarmed first John chapter 5 I don't think I can finish I have to continue next week first John chapter 5 the verse 21 now this is serious please watch this first John 5 21 he says little children keep yourselves from idols I have been reading this scripture for many years all my thought was graven images all my thought was going to the shrine so i said no i mean i mean in this dispensation who even think of going for idols he says keep yourselves from idols i was reading this in nlt please give this to me in nlt and i was shocked first john chapter 5 the verse 21 nlt look he says dear children keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart I was like what so I've been reading this in the New Testament all this while and I didn't know what he was talking about the word idol is anything that takes God away from your heart look he says dear children keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart no wonder a Christian a full time Christian will wake up and the first thing he he takes when he wakes up at dawn is his phone your phone has taken your heart away from God I've told you technology is a very very good thing but technology can become an idol when it takes supremacy and dominates your life above God's control over your life above God's influence over your life yes you can allow technology to destroy your life you know you wonder a Christian can go for a, a pork party for four hours without complaining he can go for a pool party for three hours without complaining he, he can listen to the word of God for an hour he says I'm tired I'm tired you see your heart is growing cold your, your heart is waxing cold God does not excite you anymore when you get to that point it is telling you that your heart your heart your heart has been tempered with your heart no devotion anymore you don't test and hunger for God anymore now your hunger has dried up ever since you started working you, you know before you had a job you had a certain devotion for God 
You want a certain devotion. You wake up at dawn. The first thing you do is to speak in tongues. Bless and honor the Lord. You spend time studying the word. You spend time going for church meetings. Now Sunday is your resting day. Sunday is your is the time you wash your clothes. Sunday. Weekdays you don't have time. Now you say your work is stressful. Your work is stressful. <laughs> your work is stressful. Stressful. <laughs> I'm too busy. I get tired. I'm so tired. Now your master's program, ever since you started your master's, you are forgotten about God. You know, sometimes when we say this, you think it's law, but I'm teaching you the word. John says, little children, keep yourself. So it is something you must guard. Don't let anything take the place of God in your heart. Jesus must always remain at the center. Have you not read in Matthew 6.33 when he says, seek ye first the kingdom and all his righteousness and all other things shall be given to you i heard someone say you don't need god to prosper i said ah they're not that, that is not the christian language an unbeliever does not need god to prosper as christians we need god to prosper on every side we need god to prosper if an unbeliever says he does not need god to prosper i understand when a believer says he does not need God to prosper, I have a problem. Because what did you have that was not given to you? What did you have that was not given to you? Christians have a mindset. We need God to prosper at every time. We need God to make money. Yes, that, someone says, so you don't need God to make money. I need God to make money. Because he told me the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He told me that the riches and the gold and the silver are mine. So I believe I need God to prosper. Unbelievers don't need God to prosper. I need God to prosper on every side. I need God to prosper. If people can go to the shrine to go and seek for powers to make money, I need God to prosper. I need God to prosper. I need God to prosper. That's the Christian language. There are many Christians seeking for things other than God. When God says, seek me and all other things, that car you need is an annex. He can give you an idea. He can open a door opportunity for you to have that car in multiple folds. I heard someone say, you don't need God to prosper. I said, okay, well, that's your revelation. I need God to prosper on every side. Because I know people who, he said, if you need money, go and work. Work hard, you make money. Well, I don't know what kind of gospel people are teaching. Gospel, see, the gospel does not promise prosperity. But prosperity is part of the kingdom. God, the gospel does not promise prosperity. But prosperity is part of the kingdom. God prospers people. Both spiritually and financially. So you need God to prosper. I've seen people who work hard and nothing is on the table. So you don't tell me you don't need God to prosper. No. I've seen people who have worked very hard for many years and cannot boast of a land. I've seen people who have been demonically strategized to be poor. They have been demonically, strategically positioned to be broke. And you say you don't need God to prosper. Huh. You know when you, have, you are sitting in your car, you have built your house already, there are some things you can be saying. We need God to prosper. He says, seek ye first the kingdom. 
Seek ye first the kingdom. Now many Christians are seeking first things. Listen, come to Luke chapter 6, verse 33. Let me say this for the last time before I close. Matthew 6, 33. This will bless you. Matthew 6, 33. Look. Let's read from the verse 31. The verse 31. He says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewith thou shall we be clothed? Are you not seeing that these are the three things, basic things a man needs in life? What you will eat, what you will drink, and what you wear. Look at what the Bible says. For after these things do the Gentiles seek. So unbelievers seek these things. So when a believer begins to seek this above God, there is a problem. He says, for your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. In other words, God knows your needs. He knows you need a car. So if you don't have a car, it's not because God has not want to provide it for you. He knows. He says, these are not things you seek because Gentiles, unbelievers, that is what they work for. So if your entire life is to work to have a car, trust me, you are on the wrong path. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added. Someone says you don't need God to prosper. He says all these things shall be added. So God can add a car. He can add a house. He can add food. They are added. So the Christian language depends on God. Yeah, we depend on God. We depend on God for everything. I depend on God for everything. He's my source. I make him first. He adds the rest. So don't think it's your hard work that is making you today. And don't kill yourself. There are many people who have allowed things they seek to take the place of God. You cannot be a Christian, wake up in the morning, one month, two months, three months, four months, and all you think of is work. No. You are walking on the path of idolatry. When you have given extreme devotion to your master's class, to your PhD class, above God himself. I'm not saying do that 24-7, but I'm saying that keep God in the midst of your heart. Even whilst you are studying economics, let God, let God be the center of your life. Let me tell you this. The heart was not created for things. If you seek for things, you will never be satisfied. I'm telling you. After JSS, you are not satisfied. You go to SS. After SS, you are not satisfied. You go to the university. After university, you are not satisfied. After you are done with the university degree, you want to do your master's. After master's, you want to marry. When you get married, you are like, oh, after marriage, I think I, I, I need a car because my wife and me and the children, we need a car. So you are not satisfied. You go for a car. When you are done with the car, you are like, mm, the way we are renting, we, don't, we feel very uncomfortable. Let's build a house. You build a house. When you are done building a house, you are like, this car we are driving is too old. I think we need another car. You buy another car. And you realize that uh, the house we are in is too small. Let's expand it a little. Then you expand the house a little. Uh, our two children are not enough. I think we need three children now. Then you give birth to three children. I think the three children are not enough. We need four children. You give birth to four children. They are like, uh, I'm not satisfied. I think I'm getting older. Let me quickly pursue 
pursue my PhD and doctorate. Then you pursue your PhD and doctorate. And you realize that your heart is not satisfied. My salary is too small. Meanwhile, it's 10,000 Ghana cities. And you are not satisfied. I said, no, 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 no. I think let me go for another upgrade of myself so that my salary can increase. And your salary moves down to 20,000 Ghana cities. Yet, your needs begin to grow. Nothing can satisfy you. I can tell you for a fact, you buy an iPhone 5 today, an iPhone 7 is coming next year. You buy an iPhone 7, an iPhone 10 is coming next two years. And the heart will never, the, the heart was not created for things. That is how come you never find satisfaction in seeking all these things. I've seen a rich man who at the age of 17 years, he had acquired everything and he committed suicide. Because he said, I have everything but I, there is something I need. Listen, the heart was not created for things. The heart was created for Jesus. Until you have allowed Jesus to truly satisfy you, you can never be satisfied with any other thing. Until you have allowed Jesus to satisfy you, until you have a perfect, beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing else will satisfy you. You'll be looking for things, chasing after things, and your heart is never satisfied. You'll be looking for things when you get them. You are not satisfied when you even get the things, and you're looking for more. You buy a salon car today. In the next two months, you are looking for at someone's four-wheel drive, and you're like, no, my, my car is too small. I need a family car now. Then you are seeking after things that doesn't satisfy the heart until Jesus truly satisfies you until you have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ nothing else satisfies lift your voice and begin to bless the Lord begin to bless the Lord begin to talk to Jesus your heart has been seeking for things all this while but I speak to you Jesus truly satisfies. Jesus truly satisfies. You need a true quality relationship with Jesus. Don't be covering up for not reading the Bible. Don't be covering up for not fasting. Don't be covering up for not seeking the face of Jesus. Don't cover it up. There is a problem. There is a problem. Ever since you started working, you don't remember the last time you took your Bible. And now it's okay. You know why it's okay? It's okay. It seems okay, but it's not okay. You don't pray anymore and you think it's okay. It is not okay. It's not okay. The object of your worship really matters. God does not want to be the number one in your life as if he's competing with other things. He wants to be the one you live. Listen to me. God does not want to be the number one as if he's competing with other things. He wants to be the one you live. He doesn't want to be number one. He wants to be the one you live. The one you live. The one I love is ever before me. His seal is upon my heart. I live for the one I love. <laughs> the one I love is ever before me. He seals upon my heart. I live for the one I love. The one I love is ever before me. He seals upon my heart. I live for the one I love. The one I love is ever 
before me is seized upon my heart. I live for the one I love. The one I love is ever before me. It seals upon my heart. I live for the one I love. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I live. I live for the one I love. <laughs> Come on, lift your voice. Begin to adore him. <laughs> he is everything for us. I live for the one I love. I live for the one I love. Oh, thank you, Lord. I want you to look at Jesus as you watch me now. Just apologize to him of how you have neglected him all this while. Just apologize to him. It's a relationship. He's your big brother. He has been yelling your fellowship all this while. And you kept ignoring him for other things. You kept chasing other things other than him. Your phone took his place. Your laptop took his place. Your money took his place. Your job took his place. Your master's degree took his place. Your PhD took his place. Your professorship took his place. Your degree took his place. And thrown him back. And thrown him back in your heart. As you are watching me, I want you to enthrone him back. And thrown him back. And all this while, you have made other things your idol. And when Jesus, the one you love, who is ever before you, some time ago when I understood grace and I hear people say I need thee every hour I said no 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 no. we don't need God every hour we have God every hour yes that's true we have God but we still need him we need him for understanding <laughs> so we still need Jesus we need him to guide us so we still need Jesus I need thee every hour 